Corporate to Calm podcast. In 2017, I realized my personal life was completely at odds with my professional life. I am now on a journey to speak with entrepreneurs, community leaders, and beyond to discover what motivated them to make the change, what motivated them to move from corporate to calm. Hey there, you are very welcome to this week's episode of Corporate to Calm. Today I'll be speaking with Maureen O'Brien from Sapphire. Maureen is on a mission to change how we recruit people, how we look after people and how we place people in the right jobs. I refer to her as the Pivot Queen and today we'll find out why. Hey there Maureen, how are you? Um, I've introduced you so go ahead and uh, tell me all about what you do. My name is Maureen O'Brien. I am a lot of things. (laughs) But at the minute, I am a bookkeeper and I have a recruitment company. Um, I'm in my mid-50s. I think I've had a couple of lives up to now. Um, Life is good. Um, Work is there. Um, I think I'm in a, a good place in life. I'm in a happy place. And... Waiting for the next question. Oh, very good. Very good. Well, my next question is, where did you start life off and what has brought you to this happy place and um, your bookkeeping and your recruitment? Well, I started in, as I call it, my other life. When I left school, I actually joined the convent. Right. I joined an order called the Sister Disciples of the Divine Master. Um, they're a relatively new organization. They were only founded in 1924 in Italy. They are semi-enclosed and their life is basically one of prayer. And we do a lot for the liturgy and the priesthood. So I'm just going to stop you there to clarify for everybody. You're a nun. Yes. Basically. Okay. <laughs> Just in case any any anybody we're going straight in anybody that knows Maureen where where she was a nun nun as an N U N not N O N E yes I was a nun I was a nun up until 1991 uh, I spent six years in Italy I came back I was three years in Ireland and then I I left um, I think really what it was. Like all my life, I wanted to go into the convent. From I, I was a very small child, and I thought this is where I should be. Uh, that was the calling I felt was for me, and I absolutely enjoyed every single minute of it. I think what it did for me was it gave me a grounding and it made me the person that I am. Um, it's a well, it is a great life, I have to say. I left because I can be quite opinionated. No. Yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> I I thought I could change things from within and it just wasn't possible. And there was a lot of stuff coming down the line in religious orders and in the priesthood and within religious life that was disturbing and disturbed me. And I just felt, no, I... I need to be on the other side. What age were you when you left? 
I came out when I was 28. Okay. And can you speak Italian? Fluent Italian. I did all my studies in Italian. Um, Fluent Italian. I, I suppose it wasn't easy to come out because we were semi-enclosed. And when I came out, it was like a reborn. I was reborn. It was a rebirth. Like I didn't know how much it cost to live. I didn't know how to pay a bill. Um, I didn't know how much standard thing like milk and bread. What's semi-enclosed, Maureen? I'd love to know because I I'm, I don't know what that means. So maybe some of our listeners do. But... We don't. We're not out in the community. Okay. So basically, we were we were in within the confines of the convent and we had a life of prayer. So I'll give you an example. The, the normal day would start at 5.30. So you get up at 5.30 and you go to prayer. Then you have mass at 7 o'clock. The eight and then about 8 30 of breakfast and then after that if you're going to college you go out and you go to college or you do the work inside we did a lot of embroidery we did um we've teachers who basically did the arts liturgy then there was lunch or dinner and then you um, you had a siesta because it's very hot especially in the summertime so you had a siesta till three and then you went back to work till five and then you prayed again and during the night we did um adoration of the blessed sacrament 24 hours a day seven days a week so when your turn came to do night adoration you were up anytime like you could be up from two to three four to five five to six and you did your hour of prayer and the whole reason behind that was we were to pray while others slept and you prayed for humanity and you prayed for what was going on in the world. And the founder always said that his name was James Alberioni. And he always said that, you know, while the world is going on, there should always be somebody in front of the Blessed Sacrament in prayer. And I miss that. I think that's the biggest part of that part of my life that I miss but I still meditate. I meditate maybe three, four times a week. I just go away to my own little corner and just get a sense of self. Not that I'm great at meditating, like the doorbell will ring, the phone will go off, the computer will buzz. But I think you just you can allow that to happen and you just keep your sense of self. I think I'm very blessed, Linda, and I'm very blessed because... My life could never have happened the other way around. So I could never have like married or been with a partner and then gone to the convent. Yeah. I went to the convent. I had a a good life. I don't regret one minute of it. It came to the stage when I had to make a decision and I made the decision to come out. It was my own decision. And I now enjoy another life. So I'm truly blessed that I've had two lives and I would live either of them all over again. So um, was there like a Captain Von Trapp? Um, no, <laughs> no, there wasn't. Um, there wasn't a Captain Von Trapp for, gosh, I was at nearly 17 years before Captain Von Trapp <laughs> behind the door. Um, yeah, no, there wasn't. And there was never an inclination for that. You know, it, 
I didn't come out because of somebody else. I came out because of me. And was it there, you, you alluded to, you know, stuff that was happening regarding the priesthood and everything, but that was that was kind of a catalyst. And yeah, I think it was. I think I went in with an idea and I thought, you know, everyone lives like this and, you know, you have a certain um, accountability and an integrity. And I found that that's not always the case. And I couldn't, I just couldn't marry the two together. Um, there are, like every walk of life, Linda, there are people in there that shouldn't be in there. Yeah. And I just couldn't marry that concept because for me, that just wasn't right. Like if, if you're in, if you're someplace you're not meant to be, leave. So I left and, and I think because I left of my own choice and because I thought very long and hard about it, I think it was a successful leave. Right. But then, I mean, I have fantastic parents and if it wasn't for them, I think it would have been an awful lot harder. And when you, so I suppose 1991, just where were you initially? I was in uh, Rome for three years and I was in Milan for two years. Wow. So that's where I did my formation. Um, And I went to college in the Gregoriana in uh, Rome. Uh, I did liturgy and theology. Neither of which are any good to me today. Not that they're no good to me, but I I didn't pursue it after that, put it that way. And everything in Italian, that's amazing. Yeah, everything in Italian. But saying that it, it, it wasn't easy. When I left, I think I cried for the first six months. And the funny thing was where I was living, um, there was a flat roof. And I used to go up onto the flat roof to have my little cry. And it was on the flight path of the airport. And the flights were so close, you could actually see the shamrock on the Aer Lingus flight. And of course, that didn't help. I just bawled more. But, you know, that's life. But I loved it. And then I cried coming out of it. So. And did you um, stay in Italy then for a while after? No, after I was professed, I only stayed, I think it was about six, seven months. And then I was sent back to Ireland. So what does it mean to be professed? It means I did, um, I suppose you could say training. I did five years training where I was taught liturgy, theology. um, You learn what it is to be a nun, you know, what it is to, um, what it is to be a person of character. And you learn a trade. So I ended up being a master embroiderer, um, which I loved. And I still love to this day. When I get into a certain zone, it just calms me down. Mm. So I go out to the shed and I do a little bit of embroidery. Um, then after you become, I, I think also it gives you that space to make up your mind. Is this the life for me? Yeah, I was professed in September in Rome. My parents came over Um it was a great day. There was eight of us in the group from all over. We had Burkina Faso, Italy, um, Puerto Rico, Spain, Ireland. So it, it was it was a very international group of girls. Do you still see them or hear from them? 
No, I don't. Well, I do. Three, three of us left. Wow. In the years after, one left prior to profession, the other, myself and the other girl, left after. Um, she's in the states, married, children, and um, we keep in contact because we were very close. And then I have a friend, very good friend in um, Spain. We keep in contact through social media. Haven't seen her, um, but she's doing good. She's doing well. Not married. Um, that's it, I suppose. That's that's That was that part of my life, which I don't talk about very often. I know that. that. Thank you. I think there'll be a few people very surprised when they um, hear that part. Um, I suppose just before we leave that, um, thinking about what's going on today with um, mother and baby homes and what has come out and everything like that, is that something that you just can't? I know you talk, you're talking about marrying things up and everything like that. Is that something that you just can't marry up, I suppose? And it's like, was that was... I think, Linda, for me, I think things like that, the mother and baby home, um, it, it's just not only can you not marry it up, you can't put sense to it. Yeah. You, you can't. Sometimes I think, no, that never went on at all. But because of where I was and because I was immersed in that life for so long, I don't think people understand that the the effect that church and state had on each other in the 60s, the late 50s, the 60s, they tended to feed off each other. And I think even now they tend now to um, make each other scapegoats for things that have happened. And I think it's, it's a disservice to both church and state. I think there are a lot of people that are extremely hurt who are finding it very hard to forgive. I think it's something we still need to look at and we still need to apologise for. But I still don't think that's enough because I don't get how any human being can do what was done in the 60s in this country. Yeah. It, it just, there is there are no words. There are, I mean, all we can feel is absolute shame. Yeah, we weren't involved. It, it, it was a very shameful time. And I think it's going to go on until the truth is told. Um, and do you think there's more truth to be told? Yeah, I think in every situation, there is always more truth to be told. And I think especially in this, there is truth to be told. And unfortunately, a lot of people who were involved are now deceased. But it's like everything else. People knew and people know. And I think it's up to them to stand up and be people of integrity and honesty and start talking right. and start putting right as far as you can put right what has happened, you know, because there are a lot of survivors out there and they just want to know the truth. There are still a lot of kids who are adopted out who don't know the truth. There are a lot of mothers who still cry for their children. They need to know the truth. And and as far as they can be brought together, I think they should. But I think we're a long way from that because I don't think we are. I don't think this country is a country of integrity or honesty or fairness. I think we're still hiding. Yeah. 
I think were still hard. Um, and I think we just need to let go, as they say, let go and let God. I think we just need to let go and just put it out there. And I think people, you know, they say, oh, people can't cope with it. I think people are a lot more resilient than we give them credit for. Yeah. They will cope and they can cope because that's the way we are. I mean, the Irish people, I think, are the most resilient people in the world. And we have gone through so much in our history. I think, yeah, I think we need to anchor our country now in in values and go back and deal with the past. Because if you don't deal with the past, it will always come back to haunt you, always and forever. So to kind of round off, you like lost your habit, but did you lose your praying or your faith? Are you still? No, I think the habit I lost was material. Yeah. And I think I've held on to the majority of the rest. Thank God. Yeah. Okay. And that gives you great comfort, I, th- I think. Yeah, big time it does. And I think it, it, it's a resource that I just go back to so often. It's like going back to the well. Um, and I think when the well is full, you just, you know, and you go back, you just get a comfort and you get a sense of self and it just gives you strength. So yeah. that that's what I carry forward from that part of my life. Yeah. As I said, I'm very... And, m- moving, <laughs> um, and moving on from that um, to into a society where you don't know the price of a loaf of bread or a pint of milk or a, how do you become a bookkeeper and <laughs> what what happens there <laughs> what happened there was as i said i have um i have two wonderful parents and there is nothing they wouldn't do for me and there's nothing i wouldn't do for them and i think they were my anchor and strength when i came out because i went home to live with them and they were just like they were so good to me and little by little, they babied me again, like they nearly had to rear me all over again, which they did. And I I was always very independent, always very independent. And I just, I needed to work. I needed to get out there. And um, it wasn't easy. And um, sometimes I was embarrassed. But beside where I live, there is a cruiser company. They have cruises that people rent and go up on the river, Shannon. I cleaned them for about six months. It was work that was offered. Um, I was never picky and choosy. I think if you do a good day's work and get a good day's pay, I think it's all good. So I went down there and I worked for about six or seven months. And then it gave me breathing space, but it also gave me money to live. Now, you have to remember when I walked out, I walked out with less than what I went in with. So I had no clothes. You know what I mean? I had no shoes. I had no I didn't even have a hairbrush right so I was kind of like as I said I was the baby that had to be reared all over again and then a course came up in the tech in Athlone and it was for the ACCA and I hated maths I never liked maths but when I was in the convent I always did the accounts so I was self-taught so I said that's it I'll go and I'll do that so I started that I did the first two years and then I got ill um, I got quite ill. I won't say it was a breakdown, but I suppose it was the stress of a lot of stuff. And I came out 
and I never went back. And then I started working for uh, the Society of St. Paul. People would know them because they're the ones that print the mass leaflets for mass on a Sunday. <laughs> so I went back to work with them and I... It was following you around, Maureen. <laughs> it was following me around. Do you know something? You can, I can never shake it. And I don't think I will ever shake it. It just seems to be there. But anyhow, I went back there for just to help them out. I did the accounts and then it ended up, I moved them from Atlone to Minute and then that was supposed to be the end of it. And then I stayed on for another six years and I just did the bookkeeping course then. I was happy enough with that. And that's what I did. I ran their business in Ireland for nearly 11 years, loved every minute of it. And then I was made redundant because they moved all their um, production to the United Kingdom. Um, I thought it was a bad move at the time. I still think it's a bad move, but it was their choice. So that's that 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 was a big chunk of life afterwards. Um, and as I was kind of like getting used to living in the world, I was still working for the religion. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of like pulled it pulled me a lot. But I found when I came out, I just I was shocked really at the way people were treated in society. I was shocked at the way employees were treated. Um, I was shocked that money was more important and profits were more important than values. And I just couldn't get it. You know, and no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't get it. Because I don't think for the sake of profits, you should put people aside. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, people are your profit. So we st- I started kind of like a little experiment. And we had, in Minute, there was eight working for us. And we treated them very fairly. We treated them very well. I think none of them would come back and say any different. And there was rarely a sick day taken. And work was always done on time. And with the work we were doing, it was very time specific. Boxes had to be done and they had to be got out to the churches within a particular time. And of course, Easter and Christmas was double the work within the same time. And I think because the staff were happy and they were well paid and they were looked after, and there was kind of like a little community, the profits just rolled in. And it wasn't because we worked for profits. It was because we just worked as a little community. We had something to do. We did it. And the result was profits. Do you know what I mean? So it kind of like all came back to convent. I nearly had them living in a convent while they were at work. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, so, I, you know, I suppose, as you say, it follows me everywhere I go. It just follows me around. But then that's because that's where my formation was. I mean, it, it, it was, I mean, the convent had such an effect on my formative years. Yeah. Um, it just stuck. I mean, all the good bits just stuck with me. So does it go, do you produce weekly or did they produce weekly or were you weeks ahead of yourself on mass booklets? I'm intrigued by this. Uh, no, we were always ahead of ourselves. We we sent out in eight week batches. So every church got an eight week ba- uh, batch. But we were, say in January, we were already packing for Easter. 
Right. You're like a chocolate company. <laughs> a chocolate company. So we were always ahead. Like like we would have Christmas done and out um, either the last week of October or the first week of November, depending on how the weeks fell each year. Um, and then we were getting our stuff printed in Italy and shipped over. So the timelines were always like they were very strict timelines. If anything went wrong anywhere, and especially if the French decided to go on strike, which they do quite a lot, <laughs> all our stuff was stuck in France. So you kind of like always had a, a two week window where you kind of like you left it for the disasters that were going to happen. But thank God we have never had a disaster. Did you see a decline over the years in quantities and demand? Very little. Really? Yeah, very little. Um, I think in, in Ireland, we would have been one of the top two sellers for the mass leaflet. I think we just, when it declined, the church numbers declined, I think Priests are very resilient people. And they started doing things like leaflets for children. So that doubled up because you still have the families going to mass. Um, and then they started put printing on them. You know, you'd leave the inside of each sheet blank and we'd print the outside. And the priest would print his own material on the inside. So then people would bring it home and read it at home because it might be a thought for each day of the week, or it would be people who have died during the week within the parish. So people would pick it up and bring it home. So then there was none left for the next mass, because most churches would have maybe two or three masses on a Sunday. So, of course, then the numbers were staying the same because the leaflet wasn't remaining in the pew. People were bringing it home. So you needed another one to put out. So, yeah, it. it I don't think that that side of it declined very much um and then we started printing books uh we print a lot of books and yeah it, it was just i suppose the other thing is too like i always worked in a very male dominated world mm-hmm. and business and i enjoyed it like i really i really enjoyed it even though it was tough at times yeah it was really tough. But anyway, that's the way it was. And no, they had a that a very, very good business and they were a non-profit organization. So that was suited me to the ground because the majority of profits we made went for profitable causes within the organization. So I think it, it just gives something more value. For me, it did anyway. Yeah. So, so well, you, come, you come out of there. Yeah. And... How long ago was that? And then you start. I came out of there five, six years ago. And I thought, who's going to employ me? At that stage, I was coming up to 50. Um, I said, where am I going to go from here? Like my life has been in religious organizations in one way or another. So then I went back onto my bookkeeping and I got a job with... Um, a cleaning company who also did recruitment and they worked for the recruitment they worked mainly with the hospitality sector and I went in there it was 
to say it like as it is, it was an eye opener. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was an eye opener. And it was basically female dominated. Right. So I had to get used to that. Um, and there is a getting used to, let me tell you, uh, females are. I won't say they're more difficult to work with. They are different to work with. I think there's a lot more of watching me, watching you. Uh, there is a lot more of uh, competition. There's a lot more, um, dare I say, bitchiness. It, it's a whole different, you, you need a whole different, I suppose you need a different set of skills to work in a fully female organization. So that that was tough, to be honest. That was very tough. But in a way, I was lucky because I was doing the accounts. I was in a little office on my own. Um, but you still see what's going on and you still feel the stress and the effects. And I stayed there just over a year and a half, nearly two years. And what really disturbed me at the time was the recruitment side of it. Yeah. And it was... I think it was the way people were being treated. And I think the professionalism of some recruiters is definitely questionable. And I think their consistency of service, in particular that to the job seeker, is very questionable. And in my short experience, I think it's very money driven. And I said... You know, you can be real kind of like bullshit at the time. And you say, oh, if I could do this, I would do it an awful lot better. And thinking, well, I'm never going to do it anyway. So it's easy talk. But then I was actually very redundant in that company. And I said, this is it. This is my opportunity. So put your money where your mouth is, Maureen. And if you yeah. can do it better, go and do it better. So I joined up with two other girls at the time. Uh, and we started... Sapphire recruitment. Sapphire. There's and there's Sapphire. a meaning be, there's a meaning behind Sapphire, is there? Um Sapphire because we were looking for a name, we couldn't find one. And every time we put it into the CRO, they send it back and go, No, you can't have that one. So it took us about three weeks. And the reason I came up with Sapphire was because my partner is actually Sri Lankan. We go to Sri Lanka every year, and of course it's the home of the blue sapphire. Um and the first year we went, he actually bought me a sapphire. Ooh. It's not that wool, Linda. It's still sitting in the little bag. It still has to be put into a ring or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it meant something to me. And then it's multifaceted. And what I wanted to do was multifaceted. It wasn't, you know, I wanted to turn things completely around and do it differently. So I said, yeah, let's go for this. Let's see how this works. So we put it in. And they came back and said, no, you can't have that. So we are registered as RVB Sapphire Recruitment, trading as Sapphire Recruitment. So that's the way we got Sapphire. So, do, you think, do you think it was because it was too generic or something? Is that it yeah, was kind of... I think there's a lot of Sapphires out there in okay. shape or form. And we just needed, you know, we just had to be wide by the rules. Yeah. So we put our three surnames, the initial of our three surnames before it and then sent it back in and then it came back, accepted. So Sapphire is now born. And when was that? So what was the timeline on that? Three years ago. 
Um, we're going in. Well, actually, we're going into our third year. So two years ago, we're just going into our third year. Um, and I suppose because of the experience we had, we started it for the hospitality industry only. Um, so you can imagine. So are you that? So that's every sort of job within the hospitality. So yeah. your chambermaids up to general managers, up to general managers, yeah, uh, chefs, office staff, receptionists, the whole lot. But we wanted to do it differently. So it took us a while to to figure out exactly what different we wanted to do. Um, and we had taken on three quite big hotels at the time. We were just absolutely thrilled. And next thing, COVID hits. Yeah. And what gets brought down the quickest? The hospitality sector. <laughs> I mean, I laugh now. But like I tell you, I wasn't laughing at the time. I can imagine. Um, I wasn't laughing at the time. But you know something like I have been here before. I have made huge changes in my life before. COVID is not going to stop me. And that, that was just the attitude. So I pivoted the company. Um, I came out. I didn't come out of hospitality, really, because I'm still there. But hospitality is closed. So... Both my partner and my brother and a lot of family members are in IT. And they said, should go for IT because IT is still recruiting. Yeah. But because I didn't know an awful lot about recruitment, right? I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't want to do it the way everybody else is doing it. I wanted it to be different. I just said, like, how am I going to pivot this? And I looked for advice and wasn't forthcoming. Um. And then I went back to my own resources and I said, you know, just sit down, go through it, think about it. And I happened to be on a call with somebody I'd met quite a long time ago. And she said to me, do you know there is a company head, headed by an Irishman in Germany looking for a recruiter for IT? And I said, oh, Lord, like there's no way. I think sometimes when you're knocked back, your confidence gets a little bit of a bang. And I just thought, oh, God, I couldn't do that. There's no way. And then I sat back and I just said, yeah, you can. I had a friend, right? Her name was Sister Paul. And she happened to be the same surname as me, O'Brien. And she always said to me, O'Brien, never let anybody tell you you can't do it. And Nice words. Yeah. And that always, when I'm in a bit of a sticky situation, she always pops into my head and I can hear her say to me. And that day I heard her say to me, you know, Maureen, get up and do it. Just get up and do it. So I took the bull by the horns. I shook and I sweated and all of the above. And then I made the phone call, spoke to a very, very nice man who put me at ease straight away. They were looking for um, two internal recruiters, but they wanted them to be um, externally employed, as he put it. So I got the gig, as they say, and it was supposed to start on the 1st of April. But with lockdown in Germany at the minute, it has been brought back just a little. So I have two girls um, waiting to go into this company for recruiting in Germany. Amazing. One is Irish and one is German. Um, can't believe it. It was just, I think what it is sometimes with me, I find 
if I can speak to you directly, I get my point across. Yeah. If I have to write to you, forget about it. I'm no good with writing. I'm no good with with, with non-personal communications. So once we spoke, I think I put across what it is that I'm trying to do, um, what the ethos of the company is, um, how we want to change things and what we can do for him. And he bought into it. I don't know whether rightly so. <laughs> uh, but I, I think it is. I, I think things are changing. I think the world is changing. I think people are becoming more aware. So that was a, a big coup for me for this time. You know, I don't think I would have been as thrilled if we didn't have COVID. Mm. So that kind of like gave me that sense of, gave me that sense back more and you can do anything. So recruitment is now almost at a standstill. Thank God we have this coming up. Um, but I needed to work. I needed money coming in. I needed to prepare for when we open up. So a friend of mine contacted me who is a chartered accountant. Lauren, what about starting up Sapphire Accounts? I said, are you mental? <laughs> And she said, I think there's something there. You know, I really think there's something there. So we said, okay, we'll give it a try. So in October of last year, we started Sapphire Accounts. And Linda, it has been, oh, talking about successful. Like I would never have envisaged in a time of lockdown that a company would have taken off so quick and so fast. And it's just, it's just amazing. But saying that, I mean, we've put very long hours into it. Yes. Really, really long hours. But every single hour is so worth it. Like, it almost brought me back to being in the convent, right? Because a lot of our customers, we initially got them through Bark. So with Bark, you get the contact. And then you contact them. They say by email, but I don't do email. So I used to get their phone number and I'd pick it up and I'd ring them. Well, I swear to God, it's like a counseling session for the first time. <laughs> it, it's just something I think that, I think when you when you talk to somebody and you invest your time in them, it's more than, will you be my bookkeeper? Yeah. Get their whole life history and their problems. and And I love it. For me, I just love it so i would say nine out of ten clients we are very successful with there's always the one that you don't get but that's fine um and we're taken away very very nicely do you think that art of conversation is dying in the modern world absolutely yeah i think it is and i think social media has not been our friend because i don't think social media is conversation mm unfortunately and I, I yeah I think we have kids now growing up where they don't know how to hold a conversation yeah and I think conversation and connection is so important in life whether it be in your personal life or your your professional life communication and connection is key yeah Absolutely. and so if you had to advise somebody on top tips to pivot communication, conversation, connection. 
Oh, absolutely. Communication, conversation, connection. And I think I think also you just need to bite the bullet. Yeah. Because believe it or not, I would be really a very bad introvert. I don't do well in crowds. I don't do well um, standing up in front of people. That's just not my thing. But give me one-on-one and happy days. I I can connect. Um, I don't know what it is. I, I can't pinpoint it. I can't say what other people see in me or why they want to talk directly to me. But it just seems to happen. So I, I think it's very important to to have that relationship with your your customer mm. or your client or or your employee. Um, I think to pivot, you just have to look outside the box. Yeah, because you can still you can still have a very, very good company in lockdown. And I have discovered that like at this stage now, I am on my fourth startup. Yeah. And a lot of it is because um, just get out and do it, O'Brien. That's the main thing. Uh, the other thing is I have wonderful people that I've gone into business with and going into business with. And I think that connection is very important. Yeah. Because I already had, at the very beginning of Sapphire, there was three that went to two that went to myself. Um, and that was a hard period of time because we were a startup and for some reason or another, it just didn't work out with the three of us. Uh, there was conflict of interest and I could easily have sat back and said, forget about it. I didn't. I said, no, I truly believe in this. and I'm going to keep going. And that's what I did. And I think, you know, to pivot, you just need to believe in yourself. You need to have that structure and balance and self-confidence and just be resilient, just get up and do it. And I think a lot of times we have an issue where we listen too much to the external and we forget to listen to the internal. And and that's key. That absolutely is key. For me, it was key. You know, go away, sit in the quiet room. I'm not saying meditate. I'm not saying pray. I'm just saying get connected with yourself. Get a sense of self, you know, Build yourself up for yourself and then you have something to give and then just go out and do it. You don't need all the advice from other people necessarily sometimes. Yeah, I think sometimes it can be um, not helpful. Yeah. Advice. You know, we think we're given helpful advice sometimes, but it's not helpful. And I think a lot of times, you know, get somebody that you really trust and get somebody that you know is as passionate about your business as you are and trust them. Yes. And then go ahead because we all have something to say about everything. You know, that's just the way we are. Like, so, you know, just, I I think a lot is so much got to do with yourself. You know, I think if you're strong and you're resilient and you're hopeful of better to come and you are passionate about what your offering is, I think just go ahead with it because no one knows better than yourself. 100%. Yeah, no one knows better than yourself. So 
I just have a quote from um, or a, 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 some words from your website. So it's at Sapphire, our goal is to nurture your employees towards optimal health and performance with a better approach to well-being in their workplace and in their life. What does that mean to you? I think what it means to me is that I, as a person, am more than just one part. And I think every part of me is so interconnected. And I always reference myself and look after myself as the whole. And I think we have forgotten about that in others. You know, do we look after our social, emotional, physical and spiritual health of our employees? Or are they just individuals who walk in a door, perform a job and walk out? And I think retention is such a huge thing in business at the minute. And from my experience, the only way you can retain an employee is to look after them completely. Look after their physical, their emotional, their social, their spiritual, their mental. Because you need to invest in the person to get back. You know, like if a doctor comes in to do surgery, you don't just worry that his hands don't shake. You worry that his mind is clear. You know, you you you, you worry that his, his mental state is good. Then you think like his hands don't shake. You know what I mean? It's just, it's a silly analogy, but I mean, I think it, it brings to the point, you worry about the whole person because it takes the whole person yeah. to to operate successfully. And in, no matter how menial the job is, like me cleaning boats, you know, I experienced at that time, and that was back in the very early 90s, the gentleman who owned that company, his wife, she was a ballet teacher. And she would always come to everybody, no matter whether you were the chef or the manager or the accountant or the cleaner, you got exactly the same thing. How are you? And she really meant it. How are you? And I think things like that follow on. And I think for me, for people coming through my door who come in to sit down, it's not only my responsibility to put them into or to help them achieve the success they want in life. So they come in and they say, can you help me get a job, Maureen? And I look at their CV, like they're more than those words on paper. And I like to get to know them. I like to, you know, figure out what it is that really, sometimes they come, I'll give you an example. I have a young lady at the minute who's looking for employment. And she says to me, you know, I just can't keep down a job. And we sit down and we have a little conversation all on Zoom. And I go, why can't you keep down a job? Well, she say, it's not that I'm no good. Like, I'm very good at my job, but I just get, I don't know. I just can't keep down a job. But now we've discovered she has external stresses that really is interfering in her life. And until those external stresses are looked after, and helped she's never going to do a nine-to-five job because her mind is never there her mind is always someplace else so I think it's my responsibility as I don't like to say recruiter because I don't like that word 
as a facilitator, it's my job, I think, to be more than, oh, look, on paper, you have these qualifications. That's the job that's going to suit you. Not necessarily. Because I also find that a lot of people who come to me with CVs, they don't want a job that they're after having five years education in. You know, they did a degree because they, they were told to go and do a degree. But that's not their passion. So for me, holistic recruitment basically is looking after the whole of the person, making sure that all the connections are connecting, whether it be mental, spiritual, physical. You know, I think sometimes to sit and talk to somebody you find out more than reading a CV, even if you only give them a half an hour of your time. And, and you, you get to a point where they learn something about themselves. They learn who they want to be. They learn where they want to be. And they learn why they are who they are and where they want to go. And... I suppose it's, it's it's balance, Linda, like you're a Pilates teacher. You know all about balance. I think in life, in personal life, it's all about balance. If we can balance all the different, like the wheel of life, if we have some kind of balance on the wheel of life, we can be more successful. And I think, I don't know, Sometimes I think I'm living in a Walter Mitty land. <laughs> no, and I think this is all too much up in the air. But like when you successfully help somebody achieve what it is they want to achieve, which might not necessarily be what they came here for, you just sit back and you go, no, this is not Walter Mitty. This actually works. You know, you, you give. You, you, like I'm a giver. And the biggest reward I get is when somebody rings me up and goes, you know, Maureen, I'm here now a month or two months and I'm so happy. And, you know, my whole life has changed. My personal life has changed. My family life has changed. And I love my job. And because the and I love my job comes at the end, I know it's a job well done because now they have some kind of balance. Um, they have... Um, they have integrity. You know, they've been honest with themselves. They're now anchored in, in, in values and character. It, it, it's just, it's mind-blown, to be honest. It's just mind-blown. And that's why, for me, it's not about profit. It's not about percentage. It's not about how many CVs I can throw on somebody's table. If any recruiter came to me that say your company is not successful because I might, I'm not like every other recruiter. I don't run to grab CVs and throw people into positions or throw CVs on a table where they're really not suited to that job. That's not what Sapphire is all about. Sapphire is about taking an individual and placing them someplace where they will be happy both the client and the employee and any clients that we have and any candidates we have placed 
are still there. Yeah. Have them come out. They're still there and they're happy. And it's lovely when you receive something like an email or or even as I have a box of chocolates to say more in life now for me is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> like that for that that just that was the best thing that anybody ever sent me. And just, that's all that was on it. More in life is now like a box of chocolates because that's the conversation we had. And are they surprised by the service? Are they surprised by the follow through? I think that the, the, the clients were a little bit iffy at the time because I think it, it is so different. And that's why I don't like to say I am a recruiter because I'm not a recruiter. I wouldn't even know where to start. And unfortunately, recruiters are not, as I said before, I think they're very driven by profit and money. Um, and that's not me. So for me, I try to put across to the client, you know, we are going to get you a candidate who is going to fit your need. But the candidate also need you need to be able to fit their need. And I think for such a long time, we have forgotten about the candidates. And that's why we're having a problem with retention in companies in Ireland. Because there are people in jobs who do not want to be in those jobs. Yeah. So I think it's a very slow process, Linda. It um, it won't make me a millionaire for sure. <laughs> That's not my purpose. Um, I get more joy out of out of seeing people absolutely happy where they are. Now it doesn't always work. Some people might come back to me and go, you know, I thought that's what I wanted. That's not what I want. Um, I have one individual in particular who's in a company at the minute who now thinks, you know, I think I'm destined to be my own boss. I want to be my own boss. And I think that's wonderful. If that's the experience you've had by going to this job, happy days. Yeah. But they're better in themselves. You know, they're not. I think sometimes we take that mentality of with candidates, you know, just take a ticket. You're a number. You're something that's going to actually generate me money. But you're not a person. You're not John or you're not Mary. You're just candidate 52 or candidate 152. Yeah. Whereas for me, you are you are you. I want to know who you are. I want to know what drives you. And I want to know what you think will drive you. And then from there, we'll start the process of linking you up with people who are like minded like yourself. Yeah. Where you think you need to be. Because, Linda, my true belief is that we all have a niche in life. And we just need to find it. Some find it very quickly. Some take a long time to find it. And unfortunately, some never find it. But we definitely have a niche. And I think any good or any help that I can give somebody find that niche. Absolutely. And, you know, there's no there's no price tag you can put on something like that. And that's what, yeah. So that's my next point. Do they expect, does the employer expect to pay more or do they perceive that they're going to pay more? I think recruitment, um, that's the one thing about recruitment that I just never understood. I don't understand how my value is a percentage of your net value. To me, that doesn't make sense. I think for me and the clients I have, 
I don't charge a percentage of salary. I charge what I feel is my value and the work that I'm doing. And I think clients can be a little weary because they're so used to just paying out a percentage. You know, if the salary is worth X amount, well, then I have to pay X amount of that salary to the recruiter. And I think that's where accountability lacks because you have to be accountable for what you charge, how you charge it, where you've come up with that price, um, the hours and the work you put in. So for us, it's it's charged on what we perceive to be the timeline it's going to take. Sometimes we say, okay, you know, we perceive that it's going to take this amount of hours to the, do this job for you, to facilitate this in your company. Anything over that, we charge extra, or anything under that, we will charge less. Because at this stage now, you kind of like know in or around what it's going to take to get somebody. And sometimes it's not always possible. Sometimes we do go back and we go, you know, I can't find a fit for this job. Because even though companies say, you know, we have a, a recruiter on retainer, I can guarantee you they also have two on the side. Yeah. And sometimes it becomes a race to the bottom of who's going to throw enough CVs on a table. But more and more, that's not what employers are looking for. Employers are looking for their right person for the right job at the right time. They just need to understand that. So I think that's part of, of my job is to say to employers, you know, sometimes even it's good to recruit from within. So you have a job that like we say middle management, for example, you have a middle management job that comes up. You know, why are you looking outside? You have so many employees that you have actually nurtured and educated. Employ from inside. Give them that break. Give them that that responsibility. And then there's still a job vacant because when you give that person a different job or give them a managerial job, then their job becomes vacant. So there's still a vacant position. And and I think that's something that a lot of employers don't look at is recruiting from within. And why do you think they're reluctant to do that? Honestly, I have no idea. I absolutely have no idea. I don't know whether it's familiarity breeds contempt. Um, I don't know whether is it that they just feel like there's better outside. I just can't answer that, Linda. I just don't know. I just don't know. You'd want to ask, bring on somebody in business and ask them that. <laughs> if you had, though, um, if you got like a bunch of employers who were going through the recruitment process, what would you advise them to do? What would be, the, what are the mistakes maybe that they are making? I think you have to pick who you collaborate with very carefully. I think giving out a job to a whole lot of recruiters is not always a good thing. It's really not always a good thing. And I think you need to be very particular on what you want, you know, the type of person that you want. And then on the other hand, I think sometimes you can be quite surprised that like I've had the experience that I've I've gotten a, a job spec 
and I'd gone through it. And I had somebody who I knew would be very good, but they didn't have the educational qualifications that were on the job spec. And I worked really hard to even get them an interview. And I said, you know, be open, you know, forget about the spec, look at the job, look at what you need that person to be and can they learn? And I sent them in. And about two hours later, I got a call to say, Maureen, we want to offer them the position. And I said, why? And they said, the character, the personality, um, their enthusiasm, their, their experience above their education makes them the perfect candidate for that job. And I think that's where we're lacking. Sometimes we think, oh, education is so important. I think education only brings us a certain distance. After yeah. that, you need character, you need personality, you need passion, and you need experience. And I yeah. think that's so important. And it's forgotten about. In a lot of places, it's forgotten about. But saying that, I think it's starting to, to become a reality. Um, employers are starting to look at the person. Um, they're starting to give people a chance. And the other thing is, I think with lockdown and interviews are being done on Skype, I think it has a great advantage. And the reason I say that is because the candidate is actually more at home with an interview be done on Skype than they are walking into an office. Because yeah. it's the whole thing of walking into a building that you don't know, uh, sitting in somebody else's space blocks you almost immediately. And I think on Skype, you're in your own space, you're in a place where you feel safe. And I think it's working wonders for an awful lot of candidates and for an awful lot of employers. So if we've talked about the employers, the candidates, if you had three tips for them in the interview process, in the process itself, what, what would you say they'd be? I think, first of all, as I said to every one of them, you are far better than your CV. Um, and for, on, on most of them, I'd say, forget about your CV. You know, don't box yourself in. Get to know yourself. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? And what's your passion? I think a lot of them make the mistake where they feel like an interview is a great CV, a lot of times written by somebody else. I dress up in a suit and I show up. I think that's all changing. I think you need to show up. Absolutely. You need to be well presented. Absolutely. But I think you need to walk in there with, as my grandmother used to say, walk tall, head high, shoulders back. I think that's your first impression. And, you know, be yourself. You know, they say to you, you know, make sure that you, you prep your candidates, you know, give them the questions that they're probably going to be asked. I think you might as well send in a robot. Yeah. You know, I can prep you till the cows come home. But if you don't come across as you and you don't give your answers, my answers are no good. No, it's not me going in there. 
you know, I, I'll give you, I'll give you little tippets. I'll give you little examples. I'll say to you, you know, look up the company and be prepared. But like, who can prepare you to say, you know, what are your strengths? And somebody across the table go, and what do you think is your weakness? I can't tell you that. You can tell you that. Yeah. You know, and, and I think showing up, you need to show up the best you can be. And put sell yourself. You know, sell yourself completely. Be yourself completely. And show character. Because I think a lot of us forget to show character. Show who we are. Because people buy people. People don't buy PhDs. Yeah. People buy people. And everybody can learn. I mean, I am a prime example. Everybody can learn. The world is all our oysters. You know, we just need to be resilient enough. We need to, like the word pivot is... I think it's just a lovely word and it has never been used really until lockdown started. But like we pivot every single day of the week. And I don't have kids, but I look at my sister and my brothers with their kids. Every day they're pivoting to be somebody else. You know, especially when you have smaller kids. And that's what we need to do in life. We need to be able to pivot to what each day brings. We need to be hopeful because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring us. And we need to be so confident in ourselves. And I think that's it. I, I think for me, if I wasn't, if I didn't have an awareness of self and I wasn't as confident or most people would say, Linda, as cocky as <laughs> I am, I don't think I'd be where I am today. I really don't. I, I think, I think, but then I think a lot's got to do with the way you grew up and where you grow up, and the advice you're given. Um, you know, and there's nothing like being a commoner, let me tell you. There's nothing like it, because you are real. You know, you, you're, you'll always go back to your roots when you're a commoner. And if anybody says to me, oh, sure, you're just, just from, and you know when you live in a street, it's always, oh, you're just from, and I go, thank God that that's where I'm from. Yeah. Because I think, you know, when I grew up, community was so important. And and the street reared the children. You know, every neighbor was your mother. And I think that that has been lost. And I think that's, it's a sad day, really, when we lose that kind of community. And I think people who live somewhere where there's community, they're more rounded. Um, they have good character. Um, they're just, they're just, I don't know what to say. I think education is not everything. Yeah. You know, I just think education is not everything. And it, it's just so important to be you and to, to pull on every piece of advice that someone wants to give you, take it. You don't have to use it. You don't have to do anything with it. But take it on board because in years to come, you might need to go back and pull from it. So that kind of leads nicely into um, every episode. We'll say at yeah, Corporate Cam, we're all about taking the risk. 
of creating your own happiness. So what advice would you give somebody who is contemplating starting their own business, making that move? Um, I suppose we can use the example of the person who is looking in that you've placed is looking to, to move on. What would you say to them? I think like for me, I went from can to corporate. <laughs> I think um, so for me, I had, I suppose I had the pillars already there because I came up through CAM and I had a great self-awareness. I had, I've made many mistakes in my life, don't get me wrong, but I just got up, brushed myself off and moved on. And I think you never get it right the first time around. You will always move on. You will always go to different things. But I think when that passion stirs up in your tummy and it's like what they say, love at first sight, did you get the butterflies? It's very like that in business. When you get those butterflies and you have a passion for what you want to do, I say, get up there and go and do it. And and sometimes you don't even have to spend time looking into it. Get up and do it. Get someone to advise you. Draw on everybody that you can and make sure you have backup. Because I think I am so lucky to have such a... Um, a great family and I have a great partner because without him I couldn't do what I'm doing and that gets lost in success people think oh you're successful well I am successful because of the people who are backing me up so I'd say to people who want to start their own business make sure your foundations are strong because when you get hit out of the blue and you will if you don't have foundations It'll rock you to the core. But if your foundations are good and strong, like it might knock a wall or two, but your foundation is still there and you will get up and you will continue and you will get on. And I think for females, especially, I think get up there and do it. You can do it because I think this world is short on female entrepreneurs. I think it's short on business, on politicians female politicians i think it's short on female advice and i think we need to get up there and get out there and do it because you matter and your voice matters and i think anchor yourself in values and not profit and stay hopeful because you never know what tomorrow brings so is there anything else that you'd like to share? Anything that I think we've revealed a lot. <laughs> you might have revealed a bit too much, Linda. <laughs> oh, I don't think I listened back to this. This has been the first and only time I don't speak about things. I don't speak about myself. I don't speak about my past because I find it, it to me, it's very personal. Um, so well done, Linda, for pulling it out. Well, thank you very much. Um... You, um, <laughs> I'll tell you one thing people don't know about me, right? I'm a master embroiderer, which I got from the convent. And I also sang for St. John Paul II. Oh, my goodness. Yes. That's, well, three, how many, that's three popes ago now, is it? That was 
two pubs ago. Two pubs ago. Um, yeah, I sang yeah, the Aston Choir for three years. Um, and I will send you on a picture of the meeting I had with, uh, at the time, Pope John Paul II, now Saint John Paul. Well, very um, picture with a saint. I have. Well, very, very. Well, he's very prominent. I, 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 Maureen, you know, I'm, I'm not the religious kind, but I was born in 1979, so I knew a lot of J- John Pauls. <laughs> there was a lot of John Pauls growing up in 1979. I was in Clamac Noise when he came. 1979. Yeah. I, I think that that trip did a lot for Ireland and I think even people who weren't religious, it just, I think it was a time for renewal and I think people just got excited. It was like the World Cup, Linda. You know, people just got this sense of being Irish and sense of joy and, you know, we need to go back to that. We need another World Cup in Ireland. We need we need another Pope coming to Ireland. I think we need something. Well, Jesus. I know. We, well, the, the only thing I'll say is I don't know if the soccer is doing any good, but um, I have my tickets to the Rugby World Cup in France <laughs> in two years. So. <laughs> we need to stay hopeful because the Rugby World Cup is coming in two years. Time. So every week we do um, or every episode we do our little quick fire round. So I have my quick fire round before we finish, uh, Maureen. So I'm going to go straight into it. And it's recruitment or accounts? Accounts. Sri Lanka or Ireland? Sri Lanka. Online, face to face? Face to face. Uh, red or white? Definitely red. I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> a boot camp or a masterclass? A boot camp. A podcast or reading a book? A podcast. Uh, competition over community. Community. Sleep. Sleep or work. <laughs> <laughs> the Our Father or the Hail Mary. <laughs> oh, definitely the Hail Mary. I would, I would be huge into um, Our Lady. Yeah. He has there gotten go. so much muck. You wouldn't believe it. Drinks with the family in the garden or drinks with strangers in your house? Oh, definitely drinks with family. And last but not least, the sound of music or sister act? Oh, sister act all the way. Whoopi, <laughs> uh, definitely a Whoopi fan. <laughs> definitely a Whoopi fan. Um, Maureen, to finish off, if anybody wanted to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Um, they can find me on www.sapphirerecruit.ie. Or my personal mobile is 085-707-2977. And I am not a nine to five Monday to Friday. So call me anytime. There you go. You heard to hear first, folks. If you're looking for a a change in your life, a change in your career, get to Maureen O'Brien from Sapphire. Thanks so much, Maureen. Oh, Linda, it was an absolute pleasure. And you made it so easy. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Thank you, The Corporate to Calm Podcast. Please subscribe, leave a nice review, or simply come back and listen to us next time. I'm Linda Monaghan, motivating you to make that leap from corporate to calm.